Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by irishillustrated.com and a new sponsor for our podcast this season, Catanzari Financial Services. I am Tim Priester with Tim O'Malley and Pete Sampson. And finally, gentlemen, it is Michigan week. We've been waiting for this. The normal, normally Mondays will be a recap of the previous game, but we're going to use today uh, as just kind of a look at Tim and I made our 12-game predictions. We'll go over some of those. We'll make some predictions about MVP, et cetera. And then on Thursday, we'll get fully into to Michigan. Obviously, we'll take questions today about Michigan because that's on the forefront of everyone's mind. Um, Tim, let's start with our season predictions. We both said nine and three. I think you're leaning, if you were to lean one way or another over nine and three, it would be eight and four. Right. Is my lean, but explain, explain well, your thoughts. You know, process. last year I was eight and four coming in, and then I thought this team looks much better than I thought they were going to look in camp because I thought the defense was going to stink going into the year, and they looked okay in camp. And I and I love the offense last year, so I went up to nine and three, and that worked out. They look exactly like I thought they would look, only Wimbush worries me still to this day. Um, so I, I don't think they're going to go eight and four. I really do think they're going to go nine and three, but it's hard for me to go up to ten and two. Just because I've been around a lot, man. I know what they're saying on some road. They have the road games, but five of the last seven, five of the last seven games are away from home. Okay, Notre Dame doesn't fare all that well in that situation. The travel at the end is going to be bad. All due respect to Matt Bayless and everything, I'm not sure November is going to be a hell of a lot better than it's been in the past. I don't think they're going to do a 41 to eight loss. I don't mean that. But does anyone think they're going undefeated well, think, in November in this I room? Think, well, I think under normal circumstances, you would say, okay, they're going to be better prepared second time through in November with Matt Bayless. But the circumstances have changed, you know, with the two trips to California, the trip to New York that didn't have to be. I mean, I, I hear where you're coming from. Well, to clarify the 8-4, and four, it's because I picked Notre Dame to beat Michigan, and I think it's a total toss-up. So right. they could start 0-1. I got you. That's I, why I moved back to 8-4. and four. Oh, man, I'm with you. I, I feel like I'm, I'm still in 9-3, but I've moved... Hard to eight and four is my second most likely outcome, opposed to ten and two. And I think last Thursday with Brian Kelly was just sort of confirmed the reasons why I'm feeling that way. Where there's just there's too much uncertainty at the quarterback position. Uh, and if you're getting to a point where you're pulling Brandon Wimbush for Ian Book, that it's not because things were going so well with Brandon Wimbush. So the fact that the staff is sort of like guarding themselves against that already. Um, is a concern to me. And I just, I have not seen anything close to what I thought I was going to see from Brandon Wimbush in the month of August to make me believe that everything's fixed, things are good, he's going to really take a, a big step forward this fall. And without that big step forward, that, that big step is how you get to 10-2. and two. And without it, I, j- I just don't see how they get there. I didn't come out of last Thursday. I think I, certainly a lot of fans reacted to what Brian Kelly said. I didn't come out of it thinking that he was saying, you know, two-quarterback system, I'm going to yank Wimbush as soon as there's – I think a lot of people are looking at it like he's going to treat it like he did the Citrus Bowl, and I don't believe that that's what he said. No, I don't either. It's just um, – No, I just think he's preparing himself for things to not go but well. Right, it, I, right. Well, okay, well, I understand that, but I – but He's an optimist it, by nature. Isn't that what you – Wanted, I mean, that's what I it, wanted to hear him say, that if he's struggling, we got to win a football game, we're going to put another guy in that we think can win it. Oh, I, in a perfect world, I completely agree. It's, the problem is that they might have to do that. Yeah, I thought Does he was... Does that make sense? He was, like, he was very pragmatic about it which and realistic about it, which I think both those things are good. 
the fact that he has to be pragmatic and realistic about yeah. it is yeah. bad. If the, the fact that he's bringing it up, right, yes. is is your point. And I, you know, I saw your initial reaction yeah. to it, Pete, and and I, you know, I mean, I generally concur with what you're saying. I, I think it's a, I think it's a good thing for Notre Dame football and Notre Dame offense that if Wimbush is really struggling, they're not going to hesitate to go to go to Ian Book. I thought that the only thing that, well, not the only thing, but one of the key things that I came out of that Thursday about that impacted my just sort of vibe around the program is that Brian Kelly believes that if he pulls Brandon Wimbush, he's not going to lose Brandon Wimbush. And yeah, I, and I'm not sure I always felt that would be the case. So if that's if that's real, then that's that is a positive. Full stop. You don't need to really explain it. Um, and I think he. He got frustrated trying to explain that a couple times when yeah. people were following up with questions, right. which is understandable. Yeah. Not everyone's totally... There was kind of a question where, look, we all know Brandon Woodwich is the starter, and then Anja asked, who's the starter kind of yeah. question, but then it ended up being a great answer about a very important yeah. topic, and I think people got lost in it's not alternating series. He really had to couch his response yeah. because, as the media, the media picked up too much we, on two quarterbacks. We use the term gap a lot. Um, and gap's the wrong term because these are these are two quarterbacks that are very different, and there's they're not getting closer. Gap they're, between them is what you're saying. They're not getting any more similar. Yeah. So they're on different tracks, and they're always going to be on different tracks. It's how Notre Dame uses that is will be curious. But I think when you have it does fall in the the cliche of when you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. This kind of felt like that a little bit to me, um, whereas like if you have two quarterbacks that run two different off two different call sheets, two different styles of offense, that's not really the ideal place to be. And an ideal place to get to ten and two, you got to have more of an ideal quarterback situation than you do. The thing I like the most to Tim to Priester's point was though, if you are going to have you know look, they have plays that they think Brandon Wimbush throws that he does best, plays that he runs best. If they stick with that, you don't have to replace Brandon Wimbush quite as much. I do like the yeah. fact that you're not going to make Brandon Wimbush do everything in the playbook if he's not overly capable of doing everything in the playbook. Right, which is, I think we have a question about, you know, is there going to be more offense this year? I think that's, you know, statements like that, it's all relative. I mean, we'll see how it evolves. I don't, you know, what what offensive coordinator is going to say, no, we're going to, we're going to have to button it up a little bit more and run less than we did last year. So I take all that kind of stuff with a grain of salt. We have plenty of time to talk about the quarterback situation. We kind of veered off from what we were going to do in this first segment, and that is, um, you know, just give a, just give an idea. You're, you're ultimately, Tim, predicting nine and three. Um, where do you see the pitfalls? Oh, yeah, I pick nine and three, and I always figure they have four road games. Um, you could lose all four road games. You certainly shouldn't. You should beat Wake, no matter how tricky a timing or anything like that any of these games are. You should certainly be able to beat Wake, and you should be able to beat Northwestern. Doesn't mean you will. It's a rough situation. The other two, I think Notre Dame's a better team than Virginia Tech. If that game was at Notre Dame, the exact same spot on the schedule, even after Stanford, I would pick Notre Dame to handle Virginia Tech. Um, at USC is a problem for Notre Dame, and it has been for 40, 50 years. So that's not a weird one to pick. I, I have them ultimately losing the first game they lose to Virginia Tech. Honestly, I was split on... I started this thing. I was like, all right, I've doubled down like five times on Notre Dame beating Michigan, so I have to take that. So I took Notre Dame to beat Michigan. And then I just feel like the USC game is a logical, tough one to win for Notre Dame at the end of November. That's the tail end of the travel schedule that stinks that we've been harping on for five months. So I looked at it. There's two back-to-backs. There's Northwestern and Florida State. Ultimately, I decided on Florida State because I don't think Notre Dame will go undefeated at home. And the back-to-back of Stanford and Virginia Tech. 
And honestly, I feel like every Notre Dame analyst is going to overlook Stanford somehow and pick Notre Dame, and I did it too. I took Notre Dame to lose yeah. their first game to Virginia Tech. There's probably a reason Stanford always beats Notre Dame, right? We're there, ignoring it. There but. is, but that's it. But but their strength this year is offense yeah, and defense, yeah. and so a, a road team, a, a team going on the road without a, a real strong defense, I think, hurts Stanford's chances. We both picked nine and three. We both picked a win over Michigan, but I totally reserve yeah. I totally reserve the right that on Friday. <laughs> I can't. I have double. I have now I, triple I down. Now, I have to but stay with I, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to, and, and we'll get into that more on Thursday as we talk about Michigan. But um, you know, as it stands right now, Virginia Tech was also my first loss predicted. I totally agree. I, I mean, I, I wrote it in the first rate series during the summer. I don't think Virginia Tech is as talented as Notre Dame. But it's on the road. It'll be at night, and it's going to be very difficult to win that football game. I took Northwestern. That's kind of like doubling down. I've I've, I've said that now for several weeks. Coming back from from Navy, don't change it. I'm not. Don't no, I won't. I, no, <laughs> I, like I, me and Duke. I won't change it because I think Northwestern's the most underrated team on the schedule. Northwestern's defense is better than Notre Dame's. Well, that's a, hey, yeah, whoa. their front seven is better than Notre Dame. How so, dare you? Uh, I, I think that it's been a it's been weeks ago, but Pete, you pointed out that Northwestern plays Wisconsin the week before Notre Dame, so that's the one thing that that you know uh, gives me some misgivings about that. But I'll stick with that right now, and then and then USC as well. Um, you know, usually, I mean, when, Notre Dame has lost the last two at USC by a total of. 147. Yeah, no, that was back in the Willingham Willingham era. But um, no, I mean, I, I'll stick with that. I mean, I don't think anybody's really surprised that, by that. I think my as I sit here on Monday, on August 27th. You did have nine months for this one. Yeah. I mean, I feel like Notre Dame will lose on Saturday night, and they'll lose at USC, and then they'll go 9-1. Through the, yep. the meat of the schedule, pick, I, the, pick the one. Yeah, yeah, and I, you know, kind of more in the the Florida, or the Northwestern Florida State. I could see that. I, I it's like a timing like, thing for you, right? I feel like they'll sweep um, Stanford and Virginia Tech and play really good football throughout. I mean, one of the things I think that sort of people will need to remember if Notre Dame does lose on against Michigan is that they picked dusted themselves off against Georgia last year. And won seven in a row. Played some of the best football that, that yeah. Matt played the best football under Brian Kelly. Kicking people's asses. Yeah, that's what I yeah. in, right until up they showed in Miami. So I think that they will be able to rebound if they lose on Saturday night. I just feel like Saturday night there's I just feel very uneasy about the Michigan game right now um, when it comes to figuring out what's going to happen with Notre Dame. Basically, we all have them starting seven and one. We all yeah, have them finishing. We all have them finishing. If I ultimately pick Michigan, I'm going to pick a win over Virginia Tech. I'm going to, I will stick with nine. Right. Three. We basically have them starting seven and one and finishing with somewhere in November range with two losses. Right? Yeah. That is kind of how it, I look at it. Is I think they'll lose two of the four on the road. I think they'll lose one at home, and I'm, I lean towards November being bad because I've actually I've watched them play football for a long time. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and no, this is predates Kelly though too. The November losses no, happen you. all and, the and, time. And, I mean, in the Holtz era, they happen. The, the, it, it is. It is so ridiculous that five of your last seven games are away from home. It's, it's just it's, it's just absolutely ridiculous that that when you get done when you get done playing Stanford and they're coastals in, you're going on to, September, you're going on to September twenty ninth yeah. you're going to have two games at home left. It, it's I know we've bitched and moaned about it long enough, but it's like, relevant it, right now. Yeah, it, I mean, <laughs> it's going to be relevant it again. Is. It just is. Okay, well, what if we let's let's look at it like individual uh, individual stuff MVP. 
most improved uh, breakout player freshman of the year? Uh, MVP for me, I when we did our sort of top 25 players, I had Sam Mustafer number one, but I think it's really hard for a center to be your MVP. Right. Um, right, right. So that's not going to be the case. I think the guy with the numbers to win the MVP will be Tavon Coney because I think he's going to have about 118 tackles and 13 tackles for loss and five sacks and, and one interception. I think he's going to have a, a dynamite senior year. So that's that's my MVP, Tavon Coney. Mike Pickus Coney as well. I did have him as the number one player. Um, I just think it'll be from the defense too. If for some reason it's not Tavon Coney, it's maybe because maybe Notre Dame goes 10 and 2 or better and Jerry Tillery is the best. One of the eight best defensive linemen of the country, and all of a sudden he's the reason all these things are happening. And you know, there's ways where if Notre Dame's better than nine and three, you get other guys in there. I think mm-hmm. my nine and three is a Tavon Coney pick. It, it is, a, is a matter of saying it. Uh, three for three. He was best football player on, on you know on on the defense you last agree, year. Like, he ended the season on, on a crescendo. Um, he's probably more dialed in than he's ever been. In the spring, he was impressive to watch because he didn't take a second or play off. Uh, you know, I mean, I think Drew Tranquil is going to have a great year. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you look at Julian Love coming off 43 passes defended, broken up. It's almost silly not to pick a guy like that because those numbers are so off the chart. But I think, you know, I mean, your middle linebacker is the guy that dictates the tempo. I don't think Jerry Tillery's good enough to, to ultimately be the MVP on the defense. He's not my second choice. I'm saying if things go where Notre Dame's better than we're saying, it's like a branded Wimbush Jerry Tillery thing at eleven and one, as opposed to just your standout All American middle linebacker. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, branded, uh, branded Wimbush is the MVP. Then it's eleven and one, twelve and one. Right. Yeah, I would agree. Okay, how about uh, how about most improved? Uh, I think I'm big into the uh, Khalid Kareem bandwagon here. I I think he's going to be. I, I'm not going to say he's going to be Notre Dame's best offensive lineman or defense. defensive lineman, but, but, but it's definitely it's like I'm not going to be surprised if Khalid Kareem is the best defensive lineman on the team uh, this year in terms of production, and because he's going to be in a spot where Jerry Tiller is going to get a lot more attention than him, and probably the Dalen Hayes Aquara combination is going to get a lot yeah, more because, attention. You know, just just to add this, Bonner's not going to get the double teams. It's Tillery that's going to get the double teams. Right. Bonner gets to – then Bonner can just do his job very well, yeah. though, holding right. the point. That yeah. is the – you know, my – that's a good call because I have Kareem leading him in sacks, but my most improved – because I didn't think he was as good as you guys did – or as good as Tim did last year as Troy Pride. I, I thought Troy mm-hmm. Pride looked so good in August. He's going to – now watch what happens. It's going to be like the worst September in the history yeah. of corners. We've been talking about him. So, but I, Troy Pride is my most improved um, – Kareem's a great choice too. Those are those are two guys that could really make a jump. You know, I'm picking Pride because yeah. <laughs> I've been on that bandwagon since the spring. Because I thought it was, I mean, I thought his performance in the spring was just like totally jumped out at you. Credit to you for that one because I had to, I had to yeah, wait till August. You. So. Uh, you know, and and, and certainly Same. nothing has nothing anything anything that we saw in August only reaffirmed that that he looks like he's going to be a standout. And that's, you know, I mean, that is when you talk about difference between. Nine and three, eight, four, ten and two. It, it's a it's a guy like that rising up and then giving you two great corners where you can legitimately lock down any any pass catch combination that you face. So um, definitely staying on that bandwagon. What about uh, if you had to pick an offensive guy? What about Bars as most improved? Uh, I would like to think so. I, no, yeah, we, I'm saying, yeah, I mean, we, have we actually have a question where we're uh, we're going to be kind of like asked to rate. The, I think we've done that before, but that was a month, a few months ago, where we kind of rate 
most confidence offensive lineman, right. you know, on down. And I, and I don't want to – and I've probably been the most critical of Alex Bars, but I do have confidence in him that – I mean, this is a, a, a three-year starter, a guy that should be really, really at the top of his game. But most improved um, – well, we're all sticking with our defensive picks, but yeah, I'm just I mean, wondering I guess, if that yeah, would really I think help. I, I, yeah, I, I would hesitate to to do that. I mean, I think in a lot of respects, you know, I mean, Hainsey might be in a, a better position to be most improved as a full-time guy. Breakout performer this year, the guy who will have gone essentially from zero to like, wow, this guy's really good. I don't know. I, I bet we're gonna we're yeah. gonna have multiple. I don't <laughs> know if he's zero, but Claypool is my breakout performer. But was he low enough on your last year's? Not, I mean, not for me. So not low enough lat. Yeah, of course. No, no, no one's ever been thought no. of higher in a gold uniform than Chase Claypool for feet. But Claypool's my breakout guy because I think it goes from, oh, man, he was great against Wake Forest to he's a outstanding receiver. Yeah, I, I would – see, I, I look at I look at Claypool as more of a most improved candidate okay. because he's been in the mix, whereas breakout is a guy that right hasn't done yeah, anything. Yeah, I'm going like so, zero to something. Okay. Right, so Claypool would be my offensive most improved and, and pride my defensive most improved. Uh, to me, it's Cole Komet. Breakout. I, I, I think that's that's the guy that people are like. If you don't really follow Notre Dame closely, you wouldn't even know who Cole Komet was. Um, but I think by the end, have of you year, seen it with like, your? Oh. Have you actually? I mean, have well, you seen it with your eyes? That, yes. That's my only question. Is yeah. I don't know that I've seen seen it enough. I I feel like I've seen flashes of it in camp. Um, that he's made you know some one on one catches that reminded me a little bit of the Rudolph Eifert type plays that we saw in camp from five years ago, six, seven years ago. So it's, I think just looking at him, the, he's just, he's a dude. I mean, I'm not this, doubting. This, the guy yeah, he, he really is. I'm not, I'm not doubting yeah. your choice because yeah. I know that he's special. I know the coaching staff thinks yeah. that he's special. And, you know, our interview the other day, Pete, you and I were asking most of the questions of, with LSA Mack, and I'm not sure that I come out of this. No. Feeling much better. No. Uh, about I mean, and just yeah. based upon an interview, we we look. We only get glimpses, and you have to add pieces together, which is why my breakout player is Jafar Armstrong. Because mm, a, yeah, I've been on that bandwagon, and b, when you add in the the twenty five minute interview we did with him the other day, you're I, you have to come away even more impressed with the kid. I think he's incredibly mature and bright and talented. Now. Have we seen it with our eyes where he's the actual breakout guy? I burst, though. I've seen I can't burst. say that. Yeah, I can't say that I have. Other than there was that one play in a blue goal game where he caught the swing pass and became – he was part running back, part receiver on that one play, and I came away from the entire spring thinking that kid looks pretty special to me. First of all, apparently I cheated with Chase Claypool because you guys did a good job of picking people that didn't start for Notre <laughs> Dame last year. <laughs> so I may have to reevaluate my uh, breakout player choice. But we did see a little with Jafar Armstrong, and I know these are one-on-ones, but at one point in the spring, you leaned over, you said, who just ran over Dante Vaughn like he was a tackling dummy? Right. And it was Jafar Armstrong and he one-on-one. Did, Armstrong didn't, when I brought it up the other day, he, would, <laughs> he didn't, he didn't remember. Oh, he put and him then, so down. it made me think, yeah. do I have the right guy? And then, <laughs> we saw something similar at one point in in camp where he ran, so, and you'd really, right away, you're like, that was like when he ran over Vaughn. He runs physically and fast. Yeah. It's Yeah, Armstrong's a great choice there, and I guess... Chase Claypool probably started ten games, so I might have. Was, I need I need a new he definition. Was threatening the single game receiving record last year at one point. So that was one game. I should have said Boykin, right? Because yeah. nobody knows about Miles Boykin at this point. So. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't see that. I didn't see that performance yeah. with my own eyes either. Uh, freshman of the year. 
Huh. Well, um, I don't know how many options there actually are. Well, and I, I think that, I mean, the two, two best three. are Griffith and Simon, right? I mean, those, yeah, those guys are in the mix. but Both backups right now, we think. I mean, I would not be shocked. Well, there's, there's he, no yeah. freshman starting. Right. Is there? I mean, I'm saying Griffith can make his way into the starting lineup yeah. if something. If, we yeah. have to see Nick Coleman do what well, Rapoldi does all the time, right? Griffith there's, in the entire safety position, I'm telling you that that's my line of questioning for tomorrow with Brian yeah. Kelly. Because where exactly are they? Are they? I mean... We've seen Nick Coleman emerge, uh, and and that's great. But you know just exactly where they are. But getting back to the freshman, I will pick. I'm going to pick Shane Simon because I think Bilal is vulnerable, more vulnerable. Boy, I don't even know if I should say that. More vulnerable than Coleman and and Gilman. Yeah. I, if you yeah, listen to I the coaches, so. yes, they are. Yeah, all, they, so. they like Coleman and Gilman. So I think so. Fair. I'm gonna, I'm going to say Shane Simon because. Uh, a just the just look at him physically. B the intelligence, the maturity. Um, I, I'll pick him. Phil Jakovic. I'm kidding. No, Kevin Austin. <laughs> I was going to say you're nine and three. You just got really interesting. <laughs> no, I think Kevin Austin because um, I I think that Griffith and Simon will be complimentary players this year, and Austin will too. Um, but I think just statistically, Austin's going to put up. Where's he going? How's he going to catches, get the? A couple hundred yards. Three touchdowns. I just, I just think he's going to be your fourth, fourth and a half, fourth and, four and a half. So fourth he's going to have receiver. to take reps away from Boykin. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I mean, and it's not going to be a lot of reps. I just think he'll have a really good year. Um, well, fifteen catches for a freshman receiver is probably going to yeah. be greater production than maybe either of the two guys that I mentioned. Right, and I, and I think some of my uh, pick with Austin is. Um, I'm probably more optimistic about Bilal than than most people. Just like he was a guy that when I watched in August, I, I sort of liked what I saw for really, no, I did too. for really the first time. Yeah, I know. Was, we um, were in accordance with that. So, and I, in terms of which freshman <laughs> produced the most in August, it was Kevin Austin in a blowout. So yes, because Griffith was hurt. Yeah, right, yeah so no that's why I'm that's why I'm going with Kevin Austin. Mine is kind of Austin in that he's. An injury to a nagging injury of Michael Young away from being heavily in the rotation, playing more, and you're moving your guys around a little bit. Receive there's more there's more spots to get that backup receiver in than there is to make yeah. Simon has yep. to overtake Bilal, Griffith has to overtake a senior, whereas Austin could just be in the rotation with an injury to anybody of those four receivers. And, and I think you know I, mean, I hear where you're coming from there because I think the alignment of the receivers under Chip Long is a little bit more flexible than it was, you know, yeah XWZ. Previously, the one thing that would stop me from taking Austin is that I think two tight ends are going to play a lot, and that eliminates yeah. his yep. time in the rotation. Yeah. All right. Also, so they should have had video on us when Pete said Dracovic because we had no idea. We all <laughs> looked at him; our eyes were bugging out. <laughs> I apologize if you spit coffee the... on your laptop or swerved <laughs> off the road while you're listening. All right, we'll be back with segment two. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com slash support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Welcome back to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Katanzari Financial Services. We have questions from our readers starting from Twitter. Cameron Spivey asks, is Notre Dame more prepared for Michigan's defense than it was for Georgia's defense last year. 
Uh, yeah, because I think it goes back to the self-awareness of what you have at quarterback. And last year, I thought the game plan that they trotted out with Brandon Wimbush was, there's no way in hell they would try that again against Michigan, having Wimbush throw the ball 40 times. That So you know what you have from a personnel standpoint. I don't think it has much to do with Michigan's defense versus Georgia's defense. It has everything to do with what do you have at quarterback. Now you know last year you didn't. Yeah, Brian Kelly mentioned. I asked him to give me some strengths of the team. You know, do you? What are your strengths? We always list the strengths, and the one thing he said was, "I know what I have in a lot of positions." Is I know what I have at quarterback. I last year we kind of wondered what we had at quarterback. I know what I have at wide receiver. Last year they were missing the second best wide receiver they thought they would have, and their first one did not jive with the quarterback. So I, I think they're just more well prepared to go in the opener. Um, I think Quentin Nelson and Mike McGlinchey would have prepared them a lot better for this Michigan defensive front seven. But from a coaching standpoint, I would concur that they're more well prepared. Yeah, 30 throws la- – I'm sorry. 40, uh, 20 40, over 40. 40 throws last year, I mean, that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I understand if you, you tried to run wide and you didn't have success doing that. I think – I mean, I just think quarterback second time through, chip long second time through, wide receiver second mm-hmm. time through – uh, you know, Chip Long keeps talking about the ability to get to the edge, which I think they can do that against Michigan, where there was no you just couldn't there was no way Georgia. that you could against Georgia. Now, I'm not saying that you're you're going to run wild, running wide against Michigan's defense, but I I don't you know I I hope I'm I hope I, I'm wrong about this, but I but I don't think that they're on the same level as Georgia. I think schematically they will have trouble running wide against Michigan's defense, and that Michigan's defense is well schooled, and they will be. Handle they they are really they're a great run defense too. Georgia, you could have a broken play about to try to run wide and you would just get caught. Right, that ruins things. So, yeah. as Pete pointed out, and right after the game, the Georgia <coughs> game, it took every ounce of speed that lightning fast Brandon Wimbush had to score on a one yard touchdown run against a Georgia <laughs> linebacker. I mean, that's just a different world. Yeah, and that's a different level of speed. I think I may have misspoke uh, as far as running wide against Michigan. I, you know, I, I I hope I'm correct. They can outrun that somebody. They're capable <laughs> of yeah, one possible. player. They will have a speed advantage. Of. I mean, who do you feel better at? Boykin, Claypool, Fink, Young, or St. Brown, Canteen, Smith. Cam Smith. Cam Smith, by the way. And I, I don't even know yeah. who the other receiver was at that yeah. point. They're just... But the, but then the flip side is, you, I mean, you don't have McGlinchey and Nelson. You don't have a running back with any experience. So, you know, it's going to be difficult to run between the tackles. It's going to be, we're guessing, we're, we're, we're completely guessing about Nordame's running backs, basically. At the under. We're not guessing about that. Okay. Uh, MJK underscore 2313. The offensive line is likely to be the key to the Michigan game. Of that group, who do you have most faith in and who needs to take the next step? Uh, I mean, Mustafer one. Hard stop, two. Yeah, yep. big gap between him and Bars. I agree with that. two. But then I think there's another big gap between two and whoever you want to be three, which is probably Hainsey. And then Kramer and Eichenberg are four and five, but I, I think three, four, and five are, are all fairly close together. This is for the Michigan game? Yes. Like a pass. yes. Then then I have to have Eichenberg at the end because he has a really tough assignment and his first career start. I mean, if you go in 12 games, I, I, I've grown to really think Eichenberg is going to have a good He's going to develop into a good tackle. Um, week one is not going to be his best game, probably. I would say Mustafer, one hard stop. Bars, two hard stop. 
I do like Kramer at guard, but I have to say Hainsey third because I just like everything I've seen from Robert Hainsey. If he's healthy playing right tackle, um, yeah, then you have to go Kramer over Eichenberg. It's a, Kramer has a well, easier role than Eichenberg does. That, no, that's a, that's a yeah. big part of it. Kramer's playing guard. Eichenberg's <laughs> playing left tackle. There's a big difference there. Must have for huge advantage. I don't think I don't think the difference between Bars and Hainsey, as you said, Tim, provided Hainsey is completely healthy, I don't think there's a big gap big gap there. Um, I, I <laughs> over the course of the season, I would say Eichenberg fourth and then Kramer, but we're talking about Michigan game as you pointed out, so I'd flip flop it. Uh, the third Twitter question we have is from Rich Marazzi. What is Nordame's biggest advantage over Michigan and vice versa? We were going to talk more about this on Thursday, but oh, I don't see an advantage. We can just talk about it now. I don't see an advantage for either offense against either defense. I'm speaking fundamentally, so running game versus run defense, passing game versus pass defense, short yardage versus short yardage, third down versus third down. I don't see a huge advantage. Now, where that could possibly play out is if Notre Dame's uh, – Red zone offense is anywhere near as good as it was last year. They're still facing a great red zone defense, but they were so efficient. Maybe that's not a huge advantage, but maybe that's the only place you can find an advantage. So the biggest advantage for me is Michigan's pass defense against Notre Dame's passing game. I don't the think advantage goes to, to Michigan. Okay, okay. Right. I don't think Notre Dame will complete hot reads, bubble screens, short stuff at all against that defense designed to destroy those things. I like. Um... I like Notre Dame's tight ends against Michigan's linebackers in the pass game. Devin Bush is, like, really, really athletic. He's also incredibly aggressive and short. Mm-hmm. And Cole Komen is, is big and tall and long and athletic. So, same with Wisher. I mean, you can throw Mac out there, too. Um, I think that that's about the only advantage I can find in those matchups. I don't – there's nothing Michigan does offensively that I think is will be advantageous against – Notre Dame's defense, especially now that Tariq Black is out, they're probably their top wideout, or at least one of their top two wideouts. Um, you can deal with one really good wideout in Donovan Peoples-Jones, but I don't think that two wideouts would that, that's going to put you under some stress somewhere. Um, so, but that is a real minor advantage, I think, for Notre Dame. I mean, for the you most, found a matchup is what for, you're for the I most was, part. Yeah. I, I like every defensive matchup. Against for every both teams, offensive yeah. matchup. For both teams. For, for we both should teams. point out those both for teams. For both teams. Yeah. I, you know, Shea Patterson completed 63.8% of his passes last year, and Brandon Wimbush completed 49.5%, more, more, 14% plus better. I, You know, he's not going to throw a swing pass in the dirt. That's just not going That's not. But going do you to give happen, that advantage so. over Notre Dame's pass defense? It's not over Brandon Wimbush. It's over Notre Dame's pass no, defense. I, no, I, I, I get that, but... but Still, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you don't compare quarterback versus quarterback. I get that, but I mean, over the course of an of, of four quarters, I, I just, I see what you. I know, I, mean, I know what way, you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I, there's a differentiation, and those things yeah. add up over the course of the game. But as far as that exact matchup, I mean, I agree with you guys. And defensively, I don't see where the offense. I do have, you know, I do have faith in Notre Dame's wideouts. I think they're going to be really good this year. But does that show up against Michigan, who's going to press the hell out of you and be physical with you? Um, you know, does that show up in this game? It's going to be very difficult for that that to happen. You would like to think that Notre Dame's receivers should be able to out physical everybody. 
Well, I mean, right? the, yeah, the size advantage. Everybody's talking about Chip Long's talking about how much stronger Boykin is. We we know what kind of really to a large extent a freak athlete Chase Claypool is. Yes, but they uh, these corners are they are. It's, no, it's a, I are cannot good. wait to watch that matchup. No, on they the don't. I, we talked about we talked about our last podcast. They don't have a lot of career interceptions because people aren't throwing. You know, I mean, you got to find you got to find alternative ways to pass the football, whether that's deep or swing. Th- this will appear on the website in about. Um, Hour, but uh, just talking to Sam Webb um, from our twenty four seven Michigan site, you would, he basically said everyone had, that had success against Michigan in the last two years attacks the safeties and linebackers, right. which goes to one of Pete's points. Not so these sw- guys. So outside. you swing it or you throw it. Deep. I specifically asked him about Boykin and Claypool, and I kind of couched it with a side question, saying, "I know that looking at numbers means nothing. These guys are really, really good now." And then he just mentioned. They, Michigan takes tall wide receivers out of the game all the time that other teams couldn't. He says it's not even – now, obviously, he's looking at it from a different perspective. Sure. But mm-hmm. my point is it's going to be a great matchup to watch on the outside. And ball placement, I know everybody says catch radius. Ball placement has to be still decent to win the battle over a shorter corner. So ball yeah. placement's important for Wimbush. All right, next question. This is lifted for my mailbag, and it's from Robert K. in Boston, Massachusetts. How do you expect the carries to be distributed in week one? Should we expect to see a lot of Brandon Wimbush runs as Notre Dame shouldn't need to lean on his legs as much in the next three games? Yes. I think Brandon Wimbush will have to run the ball more than 15 times in the game. I'm not mean designed runs. He's He'll have some designed runs. He'll have some read option keepers, and he'll have some runs where those first two first two looks are not there. He doesn't have time for a third, and he takes off and has to make something out of it. You, I don't know. Without Dexter Williams or without a lead back, how he gets out of this game with less than 15 runs, fewer than 15 runs. Jones, I can't imagine Jones earning more than 10 because I don't think he's, without being overly harsh, is going to have 20 yards. On 10 carries? No. Whew, that's going to be a no. tough night then. Well, I, Jafar, I mean, I don't, that's why I don't think he'll get more than 10 carries. I think Jafar Armstrong or Avery Davis is going to have to make something happen in one of uh, yeah, I think two what, or three of their carries. They're so going to have to make something happen. Armstrong slash Davis get more touches than Jones by himself. If I'm in charge, I broke it down. I worked backwards from 42 carries. I thought that would be a good number. They had 37 carries against Georgia. I think that was a mistake of how low it was. But I don't think they're going to get up to 50 carries because they're not going to have that much success. Yeah, the game's I, not going to be that long. So 42 carries. Wimbush, 16. I sort of split that as 14 were actually rushes and two were sacks. I think Tony Jones has 15 carries, but I don't think it's going to be more than 45 yards. Jafar Armstrong, eight carries. Avery Davis, two carries. And then I threw in a Lawrence Keyes jet carry. sweep, one carry. Chris Fink. That gets that's you up to 42. 42. Yeah. That's, uh, I think that's a, that's a realistic number for Notre Dame where the game is in doubt. But, you know, Notre Dame has some sort of offensive balance. I could eat these words because maybe he can churn out 55 meaningful yards on those carries. But I don't think Jones gets is effective enough to get the 15. Does that make sense? Well, if he gets 55, 50, he's done it. He's done, he's, done yeah, it. 15, he's probably picked up some first downs. 15 is a lot. You're saying 15 carries? Yeah. Yeah, that's a ton of carries in a game like this. I don't think they get to 42 carries, honestly. I mean, I know why you're using that as the premise. Uh, I've got, I mean, I've got Wimbush like in the 17 carry range because you're, I mean, obviously we're including scrambles and whatever you have to do in order yes. to keep stay on the field. Yeah. Um, uh, but, you know, Tony Jones is going to get the most carries of the running backs, you would think. I mean, he's the guy that's yes. the most experienced. I, I, you know, I get what you're saying, Tim, but I, I, he's a guy, you've got to have some faith in Tony Jones in game one 
when your other guys haven't carried the ball. I don't have to. They have to. Well, they do. <laughs> and I and I and I, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I, I got to coach this game. Yeah, What's I think going they, on? <laughs> I think they will. And then I, you know, I don't I don't know about exact carries between Armstrong and Davis, but Armstrong gets more. Yeah, you know, I still feel like playing that six to eight range, and Davis gets a couple, and they, you know, they risk it and have Brandon Wimbush try to swing it because Chip Long is talking about getting to the edge, and and you know he made the comment that maybe these running backs can do more than what last year's running backs did. I think that's a little bit of a stretch because Josh Adams could, don't yes. you? Yeah, yes, it is a huge I mean, stretch. Yeah. Didn't, didn't he mean in the passing game though? In getting it. I just in general okay. what they yeah in however general, however they yeah. utilize them yes in general so maybe there maybe that there's some truth to that because because Davis and Armstrong potentially in in the in the swing game they're wide receivers right they, <laughs> they could, really right are. they could they could be they're... very dangerous and then you know maybe he's also he's including the tight ends maybe there maybe he feels there's more there uh, Statman seventy two Chiplong says he will go deeper in the playbook this year. Increasing the number of different plays means each play has fewer practice reps with untested running backs, relatively inexperienced receivers, and several position switches among the offensive line. Is this really a good idea? I think he has to go deeper in the playbook over the course of the year because they don't have the offensive line and the and Josh Adams that they had last year, where you could yeah. rely on that. Uh, so it's kind of by necessity. You can preach it because you got to do it. Uh, you have to go deep in the playbook against Michigan because you have to find something to hit downfield. They, I cannot stress this enough that if they do this extension as the running game crap, how badly it's going no. to go in this game. No. It will be horrid to watch. That's this, this is how bad. Like the extension of the running game as a passing game this year is like if you accounted for the fact that every f- third handoff is a fumble because that's really what the, those swing passes look like. You're only converting those at 67%, maybe. There will be so many passes for lost yardage. If they try that, there's a game. They're better off, off, you know how, like, Wimbush will take a couple steps and shovel it wide. I mean, they're they're better off doing that than they are trying to throw swing passes. Rugby style. Yeah, so in that that respect, I can't believe I'm going to say these words, it is an extension of the running game. But, okay, uh, on our message board, there's... You know, the, the typical thread that, okay, Michigan's defense isn't as good as everybody says because they, they beat up on bad teams. All good teams beat up on bad teams. That's, yeah. how you, that's how you finish in the top 20 in stats. But you know how many first downs Michigan allowed per game last year? Okay, they beat up on some bad teams and didn't perform. Look, Michigan, Michigan should have been better than 8-5 last year. Right, right, right. I, that's more of the quarterback, though, than it is the I, and the no, offensive I, line. Right? Than it is no, the I would defense. agree. I would, I would agree. But you know, I mean, they they allowed fifteen first downs per game last year. Fifteen. Not, not a lot. Of I mean, that downs. is that's not a lot, man. That's not a lot. Play action pass. Go deep. Don't throw it short, please. Okay, I'm just telling you. There's no no. It's I want to harp on it. We have Thursday to talk about this, but they can't run that game against Michigan. No, man, we are. They already we found are, out they couldn't run it against Georgia. They we are walking all over. They we can't are, run that game against Air. We were walking all over Thursday's okay. podcast, but we'll come up with something. But no, this is where, hey, look, when you have, I mean, you talk about the, the expert that you're talking about or the Michigan guy from, from yeah. 24-7 Sports, um, you've, you've got two big receivers. You send them deep and see what happens. Yeah, it's, you, I mean, you've got to try it. You've got to do it a couple times, and it may even, you know, like most coordinators sometimes like to do that on first damn play of the game. Next question from Irish Cajun. Will our secondary be improved enough to give pass rushers more time to get to Patterson in game one? If so, discuss the effect the improved coverage will have on the game and its outcome. 
is it realistic to expect coverage sacks? Yeah, I mean, for sure. It's uh, I went through and did sort of like an, a look at Notre Dame's sacks last year from defensive linemen, and probably about half of them, if you said, like, is this a coverage sack or like a pass rush sack? Probably about half of them were coverage sacks, um, where the quarterback had to like, come off his first read, struggle with his second read, and then the pocket collapsed and they got him. So, yeah, I think that coverage sacks are, are really realistic. Um, I think Shea Patterson is less important to this question than Michigan's offensive line, which I think is, is not good. So that's, what, that, that's an advantage Notre Dame should have. I, I think the if you said who has a bigger advantage, Notre Dame's defensive line against Michigan's offensive line or Michigan's defensive line against Notre Dame's offensive line, I think it's Notre Dame's defensive line against Michigan's offensive line is the bigger gap between those two units. Now, Michigan's defensive line is the best of those four units, but I think Notre Dame's offensive line is the second best. Right. But then Notre Dame's defense on is, is not far behind Notre Dame's offensive line, and then Michigan's offensive line is, is a solid fourth. I, I definitely think the secondary is better. I mean, Troy Pride playing the way we've seen Troy Pride. You're talking about when the season started last year, Nick Watkins was a starter. I mean, I think Troy Pride's a sig- significant upgrade. Love versus Love. Coleman versus Coleman. Gilman instead of Elliott. Crawford, healthier. Healthier, yeah. I mean, I think I think virtually yeah. across the board. I mean, a better what certainly looks like a better version of Nick Coleman than last year. Yeah, I think across the board, Notre Dame secondary is better. You match that up against Michigan's wideouts, which are relatively ordinary at this stage, especially without Tariq Black. Who I, I mean, I don't know if we mentioned him. I mean, he 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 apparently broke his left foot and he broke his right foot last year, and. You know, is Tariq Black a, a big loss? Pete, I think you're the one that tweeted that it's the equivalent of losing Boykin or, or Claypool. You know, in his first game, he had a 49er touchdown against Florida. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a significant loss. Michigan relies heavily on their tight ends. Um, so, I mean, those are those are the those are the primary receivers in their passing game. At least it was pre Shea Patterson. Yeah, uh, I'm sure. I he, think it will be again with a mobile Patterson. That's a that's still the primary focus, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sean McKean and, and Zach Gentry being their two tight ends. So, uh, yeah, I, th- I think across the board, Notre Dame's secondary is better. We'll get more into that one on Thursday because I have something to add. Good. We Save don't want to run over Save it. Save it because right. we're walking all over it. All right, this question from Perm. Last season, we focused running the ball to the left side due to Nelson and McGlinchey. With them in the NFL, do you see us focusing the run back left to the right or the middle this season? You know, I, I mean, heading into the season, it was easy to say we're that you know Notre Dame's going to go to the left side. I don't know that there's an answer right now. Maybe they maybe they maybe they've determined an answer in the last last three or four weeks. But you know, I don't know. I mean, I think you probably feel equally good about your guards as as run blockers. Uh, I really like what I've seen of Liam Eikenberg as a as a run blocker, but I don't know that I've seen enough, obviously, in practice. I think Haynes is just going to get better each passing year, um, and, and you know Mustafer is Mustafer is Mustafer. That's that's his strength. I mean, I think it will be I, the right left center thing. I think is a I think little, that's overplayed. Overplay. Yeah, like I I track it, and then as I'm watching, you see how much they're pulling. You know, if you run right, and Quentin like, Nelson's yeah, pulling, <laughs> like on the two point conversion last year, that was that was a shovel pass to the right. But it had Quentin Nelson pulling to the right and like blowing somebody out of the end zone. So was that really a, a, a run to the right? Yeah, I think a lot of that is. I agree with you, Pete. I think a lot of that is. I mean, 
you would you adjust to how the defensive line is playing. You adjust to the yeah. personnel of the defensive right. line too. That's right. It doesn't matter if the left side's great. You're not going to always go with Bradley Chubb, around. right? Yeah. It does, you're going to pull Nelson away from him. You're going to cut yeah. somebody else. That, so that's it really it's just adjusting to the scheme. It's, I'm not sure you have a real good option with Michigan. No, that, that's a different. It's an it's it's you've probably got to trust. Actually, you know what? For this game, you probably got to trust something in, inside because. No, I no, you I got totally, Mustafer and Bars and Kramer. And right. That's, no, I totally agree. If, if you want to go by one game, then I would go with that. I know that the Michigan people. I don't know what the insider said about the improvement they've made at defensive tackle, but I think that that's across the board what is coming out of their camp and even in the spring that that was going to be improved. But I agree. You have to you've use got to, your strength, right? And you've go got to that. you've got to yeah. you got to try to seal off those defensive ends and see if you can have, you know, make some progress behind. Three pretty good run blockers right. in, in Kramer, Mustafer, and Bars. Wash ND. If ND were to finish 11 and 1 this year, name the one thing that has to happen both offensively and defensively. Uh, Brandon Wimbush would have to really catch fire and, and sort of be the best version uh, that we had talked about, analyzed, hypothesized about all offseason. Like he would, he would have to be a captain level MVP level performance um, that's it I mean I, I think defensively you could just play the defense you're gonna play def- yeah playing. defensively I think that they're fine um, you know I wrote about this a little bit today just like Notre Dame's re- win-loss record when their quarterback doesn't commit a turnover it's 33 and three under Brian Kelly so if Wimbush is careful with the ball and it's it it Get you to the point of like, should they just try to have the quarterback manage the game instead of win it? I'm not sure they can get away the whole season with that. But if if Wimbush has a low turnover season, Notre Dame's <sighs> probably going to go ten and two. But I I'm, I think they're going to have to ask him to make so many plays that his turnovers are going to go up just based on the the risk reward of it. The easy, I mean, the easy answer is Wimbush, right? Yeah. And I, and I mean, I get I get why you're saying that, and I and I can't disagree with that. But I'm still going to. I've been I've been so skeptical about you know like when people say well Notre Dame's offensive line is still going to be great I, I just I mean I just I just can't feel that way until I, I until I actually see it because you know I mean that it, 68 and 56 aren't going to be out there at least it's going to be a different body in those numbers um, so for me I'd still start with the offensive line and then defensively you know Notre Dame still gave up. Four yards per carry last year. They had 62 tackles for loss, and we thought that that was great. I mean, that's a huge number. I think I mentioned this Friday. Michigan had 114 tackles for loss yardage, so virtually twice as many. And they had 120. In one year? Yeah. <laughs> Notre Dame had 62. They had a buck 14, and they had 120 the year before that. So I think Notre Dame's defense needs to be. I mean, 11 and one. They've got to be a lot more disruptive. You've got. You've got to. You know, instead of giving up 4.0 yards per carry, I think it needs to be more around the 3.3, 3.4. And, you, you know, sack totals, you, you've just got to be way more disruptive in order to be an 11-win team. I have had every subscriber that has ever read me write this down over the last nine months disagree with me. And I'm going to hammer it home one more time. Their offensive line, to be 11-1, has to be as good as it was last year because that will allow Brandon Wimbush to do what Pete said. Otherwise... Brandon Wimbush cannot do that. And I don't mean 12 Americans. I mean a five-man unit can go into a game, uh, go into a season, win 10 out of 12 games up front, stalemate in the other two like they did against Georgia, and not get trucked 
when it matters in a cut in a game just don't blow games but be very good all the way you can have a five-man unit that's as good as they were last year they had holes last year they just had dominating athletic all-americans that caught everyone's eye had some huge rushing totals because of it had some huge times when they just destroyed people they also had struggles you can limit the struggles by having a good five-man line and that allows Wimbush to do a pizza and it's even more important that they're like more cohesive than I'm anticipating yes. because of the running because of the running backs. You just they don't aren't good know. enough anywhere else that the line isn't almost great. Right. Uh, defensively, mine is just this goes to a lot of things, but I think uh, consistent four man pressure. Yeah. And if, uh, when you're in the nickel, you can send the other guys. It's you got to be able to pressure the passer nowadays, and that'll do it. All right, that's it for uh, our Monday edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to uh, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services. We'll be back on Thursday. I think we'll probably get some questions about Michigan. We certainly encourage you to have other questions since we've covered just about everything about Michigan. But, hey, it's Michigan week, and people are passionate about it, and we've been waiting to talk about this matchup that we've, I guess we've been talking about for a few months anyway. But we'll be back on Thursday, August 30th, to give a full preview of Notre Dame versus Michigan.